like he literally picked he basically picked essentially a member of Antifa as as an example of zealous lawkeepers. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nate, and you're listening to Don't Repeat This, a podcast filled with conversations you probably shouldn't have at the dinner table. So today's episode actually features a conversation that's sort of a hot topic right now, and it was specifically brought up because a church that I used to work for um, released a statement on quote-unquote racial unity. And I wanted to talk about this because of kind of where we are in the cultural zeitgeist and why I think this focusing on this particular statement um, is important because of how it sort of typifies so much of white Christianity's attitude towards racial injustice. The church is called Emergence Church. They're based in Totowa, New Jersey. They've got a handful of campuses around North, uh, Northeast Jersey, well, North Jersey. And um, I actually had worked for them several years ago and and while i was working there i met um mike our producer and vicky's husband which i think in a later episode we should kind of talk about that story because that's kind of fun um, <laughs> <laughs> um so i was reading through this uh through this statement and um if if any of you guys are interested in listening or i'm sorry in reading the statement um we'll put it we'll put a link to it in our show notes but the uh, we'll we'll talk a bit about what they say in in the statement, but the first thing I I, I noticed um, was that it was called a statement on racial unity, um, and to me that <laughs> kind of screams right. a fundamental <laughs> misunderstanding of what's going on, right? Like, what does that mean? Unity? Like, we sh- we should all be what? Like, what does that mean? So that kind of means specific. I don't. Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Vicky. <laughs> and. I don't know. For me, this whole topic got me wired up. I, Nate, myself, and I, one other friend uh, who's an author. What's the name of her book? Um, um, so our friend Carrie Connolly, um, she's the author of the book Good White Racist, um, Confronting Your Role in Racial Injustice, um, which I highly recommend if you're kind of new to this space or you're looking for some material on how to kind of address what's going on um, or you want to learn more. Um, I, I highly recommend that book. But yeah, anyways, she yeah. was the one who wanted to jump in, and we, the three of us were just kind of thinking through a rebuttal to it. And the reason I was so passionate about it or got really into the whole, like when you showed me the statement, Nate, and there was a video, uh, YouTube video they put out as well, which was kind of long, but um, it got me worked up. And I think one of the things that just felt so familiar, I mean, you and I both, we live in different countries. We met, you know, in our 30s, and we're still in our 30s. But like when, when, when we look at our background in two different countries, we were both pastors in our churches. You were a children's pastor. I was a youth pastor. When we compare our backgrounds, you know, even being so far away, uh, a lot of like what this church put out could have been my whole church. Like really similar uh, positions. You have a bunch of uh, white men, predominantly all in leadership. Uh, only men are allowed in your top leadership. Only your men are allowed to speak. Um, they take similar stances on a lot of things. So when I read through this statement, I felt like I was reading through what my old church could have put out easily. Like I was reading this and going, yep, this would have totally tracked with what I would have heard. And if I put this out there and didn't say which church people from my old church would probably look to see who was from my church, because it sounded just like exactly something they would put out. And I had heard a statement earlier this week uh, from John MacArthur. This, uh, For those who've never heard of John MacArthur, he... Uh, He's, uh, he has written, he's authored a book, a Bible study guide that has over, sold over a million copies. He's the president of um, Masters University in California. He has a lot of credentials. He hosts a radio show that is broadcast around the world. And he's uh, the pastor of a megachurch uh, in California of almost 10,000 people for weekly attendance. So he's not a nobody. He's the same dude who, for social distancing, had like, 4,000 people not social distancing, not wearing masks back at his church recently and got challenged for that legally. Um, So he's, you know, he's a character and he put out a statement. Sorry, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but I wanted to point this out. His statement was, and I'm going to just, let's just cut to the audio. I want you guys to hear this for yourself. It is a little strange that um, we have such an aversion to slavery uh, because historically there have been abuses. There have been abuses in marriage. We don't have an aversion to marriage, particularly, because there have been abuses. 
There, there are parents who abuse their children. We don't have an aversion to having children because some parents have been abusive. Of course, it can have any kind of situation where abuse can, can be involved. The reason unions grew up in America was not to free slaves. The reason unions grew up in America was because there were people who had businesses and they were abusing their employees. So to throw out slavery as a concept simply because there have been abuses, I think, is to miss the point. In any kind of human relationship, there can be abuses. There can also be benefits. For many people, poor people, perhaps people who weren't educated, perhaps people who had no other opportunity, working for a gentle, caring, loving master was the best of all possible worlds. If you had the right master, everything was taken care of. Okay, so that's pretty horrifying, right? Like, you hear that and we all go like, wow, like, how does this person... What a horrible idea on race, on like what an example of white supremacy. Most of us would just be shocked and horrified that someone would say this and claim to be a pastor. Um, but oftentimes this is the more right wing conservative brand of evangelicalism and we could easily see what's wrong with it. But the statements like the one Emergence put out is much more mainstream. It's much harder sometimes to pick out what's wrong with this. Mm -hmm. Like what is it in this statement that is so awful mm -hmm. and it's so much more common so it's almost more harmful because it's not obvious. It's not yeah. something where you listen to what MacArthur said and go, oh, my goodness, that's horrifying. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, this is actually promoting unity, racial unity. I w How did you end up stumbling upon this, Nate? You want to go for that? You, you. Yeah, so I've got a, uh, a friend who actually shared it. He attends, the, um, he, he attends the church, and I've actually known him for several years, and he shared it to his uh, Facebook profile. It was like and, a live a live stream. At yeah, the time, it was right? it, it was live at the time. Um, and this is a friend that I think he's he's trying to learn. Um, he's actually been exploring um, LGBT rights and equality issues. Um, so I, I was encouraged to hear about that side of his his journey. But I noticed like sharing something from Emergence, which. You know, any anyone can change, but I'm. I I worked with those guys for five years. Like I I, I know how they are, and um, there's there's a certain kind of arrogance that that exists, especially here, because they're they're dealing with a topic that they don't have um much experience in, and then act as if they're the authorities. Yes, that's what I got too, and mm. I was so angry about it, because I yeah. don't know anything about emergence. I don't know who these people are, but they are quite adamant that they are the experts, and that no one else can really challenge them on that they're yeah. experts. But then, <laughs> but then, I know we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I just have to say, like, the pastor, I don't know what his name is, but like, fuck him. He was like, <laughs> yeah, I really don't. I, I'm just like really angry because yeah. he was like, yeah. yeah, let's all like bow our heads and pray for Jacob Blake. I don't really know, uh, admittedly, what happened there, but, you know, sad story. And his children apparently saw what happened. So let's just pray for him. Like, do your fucking homework, please. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. well, like, uh, sorry, I'm going to get off my little soapbox now. But I was so angry when I heard him say that. I was like. If you're gonna uh, make it seem like you care about people of color, like at least read one fucking Washington Post article about yeah. what yeah. happened <laughs> before yeah. you get or, up and start to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, or as a white person, forget like every time you're gonna bring up the topic saying people of diverse cultural yeah. backgrounds and just yeah. say black people. You're yeah. gonna bring up Jacob, yeah. then like bother to acknowledge which people you're talking are being about. most impacted. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. like if you can't even say the word black people, if you can't <laughs> even acknowledge which group you're as you, being oppressed and you don't wanna, you think that's too sensitive to say yeah. black people, why are you addressing yeah. this topic? Right. What are you doing trying to cover it? Yeah. And something that he mentioned in, in the video was that it was the, the product of several weeks of work that their staff had put together. And there are two <laughs> things that, that, that bug me about that. One, oh, no. one several <laughs> weeks of work. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to plug uh, Kerry again because 
she's she's devoted so much of her career over the last several years to studying white supremacy and uh, how it manifests in society, our relationship with black people, or white people's relationship with black people. Sorry, I'm not white, um, in case people can't tell by my voice. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and she would still admit, like, I don't know how to properly and fully address what's going on. Um, Somebody isn't that the bit of the Dunn-Kruger effect? The Dunning-Kruger like, effect, where yeah, the yeah. less you know, sometimes yeah. yes, the more you like the studies that show the people who know least about yes. a topic often think they're experts, whereas people who've studied this and taken years to invest are often like, I don't right. know everything, and they're like the ones who have had like seven right. years right. training in it, and they're like, this is a complicated. Yeah. So yeah. that's the first yeah. thing. It's like okay, we spent a few weeks working on this, and they made it sound like the last <laughs> few weeks that was like a big deal, motherfucker. Spend spend a day in a black person's shoes who has to deal with this their entire lives. Right. Um, right. And then the other thing, the second thing that, that, that bugged me, which is kind of connected to the first, is that they don't have this experience. So, like, if you look at their, their staff page, there is not one black person on their staff. There's only one out of a staff of 20-something-odd people. There's only one who's non-white and this is not somebody in a leadership role this is someone in a subordinate position um their entire leadership team are white cisgendered straight men and that's typical like that's where i'm saying even in my old church like this is a very typical structure and setup of people who want to talk about ra racial justice topics because they think so i right away off the bat i noticed he said something like to the effect of you know, the world is going to turn to, or the church, sorry, the church is turning to the world for answers on this topic because we're not mm -hmm. addressing them and we need to be the ones kind of leading the way on this. And so he's like looking at it like, don't go to the world for, for answers because, you know, they might mislead you. We have the truth to, to dispense to you. Ugh. And and right off, I was just like, oh, that's that's, it made me feel really icky. But then he goes along to talk about how, you know, people with diverse cultural backgrounds. We need to listen to them. And I've gained so much from hearing opinions on people who aren't like me. But then he doesn't highlight them. They're not the ones. Exactly. He's telling us to listen to them, but he's making us listen to a fellow white dude who hasn't had right. these experiences and take his opinion for whatever he has to share. Like, why not use this platform at that moment if you're trying to encourage your congregation to learn from people who aren't white? Mm -hmm. Model it, not just in who you're hiring as your staff, but from the stage, if you're trying to teach something and you're not, you're like, it just felt like it mm -hmm. was words. And that was one of the things that I found so icky. It's like the stuff you're saying, you're not actually right. showing that in right. what you're doing. So one thing I noticed um, while reading this statement, I actually, you know, just decided to do a search in the statement for the word black to see how many times it appeared in their statement. And we were talking about how, you know, they're not mentioning black people and it shows up what, five times or something like that over the course of the statement? And every, and what's it every to time it shows up. It's not actually talking about black people. It's in reference to the phrase Black Lives Matter. To denounce it, right? They're, they're saying, <laughs> um, while we affirm that black lives matter, we basically they're saying we urge, we urge you to not use the phrase because of how incendiary it can, it can be. The, the reason that that's important um, is that when you're when you're coming out with a statement that's discussing issues of racial inequity, um, you have to name your victim. If you don't name your victim, you're you're not going to be able to help them. Um, <laughs> like, sorry. Black right? people are the victim of 400 years of systemic racism and structural oppression in America. They don't talk about black people. Like, yeah. not once. Yeah. Um, if you if you don't, once. so this is a thought, and I actually wrote this in um, in our in our statement. So by the time that this episode is up, um, our uh, our rebuttal, Gail and I, uh, that Gail and I are writing with Kerry Connolly, um, that will be up and published. So we might we'll throw the link into the show notes if you guys want to read it. But one thing that I wrote down is that racism in all its forms has victims. Without mentioning the victims, it becomes almost impossible to see and dismantle the systems that attack and progress and oppress them but they don't they don't recognize that there's a victim like this is exactly this is the problem yeah, yeah. i mean the statement was like we affirm black lives matter because it is true and then they go on to say at the same time there are ideas goals 
and policy proposals advocated by the Black Lives Matter organization that do not reflect biblical morality. Like, oh boy. Biblical morality? Like, what the fuck are you fucking talking about? I am so angry about this because, I mean, at least in our church that we Mm -hmm. go to now or we attend now remotely, the emphasis is on social justice and, like, living basically a life of service to others and taking care of other people because that's what fucking Jesus did because he saw other people as human beings. What kind of biblical morality are you talking about where we are not advocating for black lives? Right. Like, in what Bible does it say black lives are like are not we shouldn't say black lives matter because it offends too many people like that's not in the bible what are you talking about (laughs) i think i think you're touching on something super important and that's the way that they use spiritual language to avoid dealing with things okay so for example they're taking different categories and when they get into racism um by using critical race theory they say uh oh that's the belief that racial prejudice is um that racism is is racial prejudice plus institutional power. I'm like, yes, that makes sense. But then they go, the gospel, however, says that racism is the sin of partiality um, revealed as racial prejudice. And I'm like sitting there going, how did you make these things into two separate things? <laughs> like, how is the sin of partiality revealed as racial prejudice separate from institutional you know, uh, prejudice through power over other people. Like, it's like they're trying to make these things as the the ways that what they're claiming critical race theory uh, says in order to address the problems. They're saying, you know, the problem is sin, but let's not spell out what sin looks like. That's what yeah. racial critical race theory, racial theory is trying to tell you. But this is what the Bible tells us. So it's almost like there's missing it. These words get used almost to avoid Uh, addressing an application for what those words should be pointing to or should be meaning. And I find that is really disheartening. When I looked at the statements being said and the way God is thrown around, it's like they're trying to say it's an either or. Like, this is a secular way of looking at things. But those secular ways are addressing the problems, the sin problems, the spiritual, like the stuff they're pointing at, it's defining it and Mm -hmm. clarifying how do you go about dealing with it. But they're like, no, 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 don't. Don't say it like this, because this is a, this is a devoid of spiritual way of looking at it. Instead, let's look at racism as this, and it's like yeah. your words don't have any any follow right. through. They're they're supposed to just be empty statements, almost. Right. It seems. I mean, and also they negate their initial statement of like we affirm that Black Lives Matter not only by saying like we affirm that Black Lives Matter, but like don't say Black Lives Matter because it's incendiary. <laughs> 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 but they also say. Moreover, while the phrases blue lives matter and all lives matter are also true, we urge our Christian brothers and sisters to not offer them as a retort to black lives matter. Um, so it's like and they don't explain yeah. why. Don't say right? the, don't say the the thinky part out loud. Right. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> like we we all know that like all lives matter, but but try not to say it because you might offend someone in our congregation. And we're trying to like do the thing right now where we try to make everyone feel like welcome and equal. But so if you say that, you're going to make them feel less welcome, and you'll totally undo this entire like presentation on how much. We yeah. Care. Exactly. <laughs> like and, and it, it shows because they didn't even address why yeah why those, why those statements, statements are harmful, are harmful exactly. to begin with and, and the fact they, mm-hmm. that they actually said you know they put blue lives matter and then they said while true no blue yeah. lives matter they're trying that's a, there that's are a no job blue lives. like there that is no not blue a lives. Lives. <laughs> you unless you're talking about yes. smurfs right. in which yes. case right. like that's a whole other conversation yeah. they're fictional characters or, or the, they, they're adorable yeah. or the race from <laughs> the race from avatar aren't they all blue or something or are they green they remember. are blue, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. But I feel like by by validating, you know, the people who say blue lives matter or uh, all what was lives the other matter. one that they said while true all, all lives, lives matter by by trying to to put the while true oh, statement totally on coddling. and even acknowledging, hang on, and while also acknowledging that people from their church are going to be making these statements because they're feeling the need to address it. So it shows these are common things if they're feeling the need to tell their church not to say it. Um, but they're trying not to make their church feel bad for saying it and give them validation 
they're just completely avoiding addressing why this is problematic. They're like, don't say this, but not why so many of you guys are bothering mm-hmm. to think this way and say these things and so, why it's wrong. Like Going back to, like, I think why they are um, concerned with Black Lives Matter and the uh, the so-called organization. Um, so in, in the, um, the What We Believe statement on Black Lives Matter's website, um, they've got a number of points, and I won't, won't go into it um, entirely, but there's, there's affirmation of um, trans people. Um, there's affirmation of... Um, oh. Right. So, and, and their, their goal of yes. upholding um, you know, uh, gender identity, gender expression, uh, sexual orientation... Um, all of the, well, they have an understanding right, of intersectionality. Right, and that's one of the things basically. that I that I appreciate about Black Lives Matter statement is that they understand how all of these things um, um, intersect. Yeah, <laughs> that they do have that understanding of intersectionality. But I think one thing, and I got into a discussion with somebody about this, is that um, they do have a statement in here that says we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are are comfortable. Um, so I think the, the fear there is the disruption of the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. Um, Nate, I think you could do a whole yeah. podcast oh, just oh, on this totally topic. I've got a lot of thoughts, but <laughs> suffice to say that there is a fear because of how center uh, or central the, uh, the nuclear family is to, um, sustaining patriarchy and, and white supremacy. Right. Fascinating. In a church that's male-led, that doesn't allow women to speak mm-hmm. or to talk or to be in top leadership. Their, their leadership positions uh, right. in that church spe- are specifically are what children's ministers, um, food like right. caring service, things where they're cooking and looking at right. our administration, right. where they don't have any real, you know, where the men are still in charge of the teaching exactly. and the leading. And, and, the and I think aren't. what, so the, the yeah. fear they have there is that, um, that, the, that Black Lives Matter is seeking to dis- disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Um, but what they're doing, and it's, this is crucial, is that they're trying to disrupt the requirement, i.e. societal's, um, uh, society's um, embracing of that as the normative family structure, that that's how families are supposed to operate. When we know that there are certain people that can't, like, Many trans folks can't fit into that family structure. Um, anybody who is uh, gay or lesbian cannot fit into that prescribed family structure. So that requirement needs to be disrupted from society. And I realize we're heading down a completely different tangent. But I get that that's, uh, that's one of the fears that, um, that they would have of... But why, why is that such a problem mm. in terms of biblical morality? Because that's the thing that I'm like... I, does it say explicitly in the Bible that, um, like, you can't be trans? Like, I don't think the word transgender or trans no. is in the Bible. No. Um, and and I mean, um, uh, homosexuality, as the Bible, as the English Bible would would call it, does not exist in in the original text. Um, What's described, yeah. I don't want to get into all of that. That could be another podcast episode. But what's described there is not <laughs> what we think of when we think of LGBTQ relations or um, gay and lesbian uh, or even bisexual relationships. That, that is not in the Bible yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Well, that's one of the most horrifying things, I think, when I hear them say, like, we prescribe. So one of the first statements he says early on is, you know, the Bible is our authority. And when I hear that, I know what it's code for. And and it's interesting, because to me as a Christian, it should be God through his spirit is our authority, through the spirit of love. The Holy Spirit who teaches us how to love should be our authority. But if you're using, like, the Bible is our authority, you're putting that before any of the principles God has taught you on, like, they're supposed to be the major things, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and, you know, love, yeah, treat others the way you, the golden rule, do to others what you'd have them do to you, all that stuff. And instead you're saying the Bible, but then you take parts of scripture, like, and just pull them to like proof text what you want. Then you create your own sense of morality and you say like, we're using the Bible as the authority. And then you could discriminate easily and feel comfortable about it because you're saying, well, I'm not saying what I think I'm saying, 
the Bible is what teaches us this. And here's like his statement in the emergent statement had so many source references from the Bible that it was overwhelming. But right. they, when Nate and I started looking into them, they were like so out of context. They proved sometimes the opposite of um, the things he yeah. was trying to say were his points and saying the Bible says, and then you look at the Bible and you're reading it and you're like, yeah. wait a second. So, right. The so example, like the, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to yeah. uh, jump on that rabbit trail for a bit. Uh, so an example of that is in, in their statement, um, he, he says that Jesus welcomed um, zealous keepers of the law and then used three references. All three of those references were the same mention of a character in the Bible who, Jesus, who, who was one of Jesus' closest followers named Simon the Zealot. Um, that's, that's their the reference, reference that Jesus that, embraced yeah, rule keepers. Jesus embraced zealous and, and rule the, keepers. And they... And why would you put that even in your statement? Like, what point does that serve except to say, if you're trying to stick to the Bible more than anything else, that's what God cares right. about that, right? Like, you're ba- and, and what's interesting is in Scripture, the people who Jesus was the least welcoming to and rebuked the most often were the zealous mm-hmm. law keepers. That's why I actually said to Nate when he read that to me, I'm like, no, that's not right. the Bible. And then we looked up the references because I was like, no, he calls the rule keepers snakes, vipers, whitewashed yeah. tombs hypocrites yeah. every time he's addressing the zealous rule keepers he's calling them out for mm-hmm. being full of crap because they're so concerned with respecting the letter of the law that they neglect the actual real needs of people mm-hmm. they neglect loving people mm-hmm. and and jesus was so like so serious about the need to like put love first and caring for people first and the rule keepers were not getting that and yet here's the statement of faith by the pastor trying to highlight how jesus welcomes the rule keepers yeah. which is nowhere in scripture and he's taking these references that have Right, and not only zero to do with, but they completely um, contradict the argument he's trying to make because the Zealots were a political activist group that were anti-imperial and doing anything but keeping the law. Like, he literally picked... Yeah. He basically picked, essentially, a member of Antifa as as an example of (laughs) zealous law keepers. (laughs) If Antifa were uh, were an actual organization. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, apparently, yeah, apparently they, yeah. they're a, a allegedly a terrorist organization <laughs> under Trump, oh, but we could talk mm-hmm. about that another time. Um, so I'm not evangelical. I've never been, you know, in in that church community. And um, so I'm, I'm totally, uh, I don't have a lot to comment on in terms of like scripture and presentation of scripture. But, um, you know, I watched the beginning of the video. I had to turn it off after like 20 minutes because <laughs> it was like so... Um, it just felt so toxic and icky, uh, like Gail said. Um, but I love how you guys are talking about rule keepers because the pastor opened up the service with a prayer and then immediately laid out the rules. Like th- these are the rules mm. of, of engagement with, when we are talking as a community about race and, and um, racial unity, whatever mm. the fuck that means. Yeah. Um, and he, in his rules, he said, we will not be taking questions but feel free to email me oh, or yeah. reach out Those... on an individual basis, which to me seemed incredibly strategic, right? The pastor is trying to eliminate discussion and mm-hmm. therefore eliminate conflict um, so that he can be correct and maintain that that position of power mm-hmm. over everyone and all knowingness um, as the mouthpiece of God and the, the, the mouthpiece of, of the Bible so that everyone will eventually just come to agree with him, right? So, like, let's say you're sitting in, in, in church and you hear him say something and you're like, that's weird that he said uh, Black Lives Matter, but actually don't say that out loud. Maybe I'll add, I'll send him an email. What did you mean by that? And then he can, like, explain his way mm-hmm. out of yeah. it directly to you so that you understand that he's in charge and that you have absolutely like no authority when it comes to the Bible. He's the Bible guy. He's the pastor. Yep. Um, and so I was, it, it just eliminates both the opportunity for deeper understanding of the congregation to the true pain of their marginalized siblings in the mm-hmm. church. And it also eliminates the opportunity for the pastor himself yep. and the other church leadership yep. to grow because they're not hearing those right. voices of those, the marginalized members right, of their exactly. church. And, um, and there's no open discussion no. available in either small breakout groups or in a larger format. And I just found that to be so yeah. disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> I think your outsider take, Vicky, is so on point. And I, it's, I, sometimes when you grow up in this culture, there's stuff that just seems normal that you don't question. 
but when you're coming at it from like the outside, like I didn't grow up in this stuff, there's things you're going to notice that are just so on point and too specific to what's going on that you don't notice when you're within the system. Like when you talked about the the power tripping that goes on, uh, the I'm the authority and I don't want to be questioned publicly. This, you know, take it into my inbox if you have something against what I'm saying type of mm-hmm. mentality rather than having a growing learning experience uh, for pastors even to correct themselves, for white pastors to le- actually learn and grow you know, they won't trying to cover that and make themselves the experts. There's just things that you as an outsider probably pick up on, or I, I think you're picking up on that. When I was in this system, yeah. I kind of didn't notice those little key yeah. things very well. Like, and didn't, honestly, none of that stuff me. really hit me either. I was, I, th- there's, there's a sort of, um, uh, inexplicable discomfort that I have when pastors do this kind of thing. Um, and just to kind of uh, call it out, the the guy who gave the talk and apparently was the primary author of, of this statement, he's not their lead pastor, but because it's an official statement, he's the one representing um, the church's stance on this. And I find it interesting that the lead pastor at Emergence was not the one uh, giving this talk, but that the guy who gave mm-hmm. it was their um, pastor of theology, as they uh, as they call it there, um, even more disappointing for yeah. biblical oh God, points yeah. that don't hold uh, into but context. But yeah, real quick, something that I that I was feeling was this sort of um, inexplicable discomfort, and that I had felt throughout much of the end of my time at Emergence, and then even when I left Emergence and ended up at at Hillsong, which is a whole other story. But um, I, Vicky, I think you actually put words to the discomfort that I had had been feeling is that nothing is in the open. Um, so if somebody mm-hmm. is uncomfortable with what this pastor is saying, they can't bring it forward. Um, mm-hmm. It just ends up in this guy's inbox. And then, like you said, he's just going to explain his way out of it, which is kind of his MO. He'll just throw you 500 Bible verses and say that you're questioning the authority of scripture read these bible verses yeah i mean so just a thought in all of this too with regard to the discussing it behind closed doors i think when you're in systems that are oppressive for example systems where it's all male white led where women are oppressed where your lgbtq community he brings that up in the statement right like he brings up uh at some point, he references the gay community in yeah. a negative, in a sort he, of we don't he doesn't say this it in the in the written statement, but he does say it in the video. Um, yeah, in the video, he actually, yeah. and I wrote that quote down. Um, go ahead and 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 talk some more because I I I have to search for okay, it. Okay, while you're looking for it, my point was basically that you know how do you expect someone to get the issue of uh, racism right or to even do a good job dealing with oppression dynamics between white and black people and how that how white people have oppressed black people how could you even start to address that his topics deal with i mean he has headlines that talk about uh white supremacy he tries to identify all these different racial topics meanwhile he doesn't understand oppression in the sense of the men are oppressing women in their church Mm -hmm. that's okay the lgbt community is is they're not affirming so they're doing oppression on so many levels and yet we're looking to these people and hoping they're going to get or people who are in that church are looking to them hoping that they're going to be able to get this right while they're not understanding the dynamics of oppression yeah Uh, so so here's here's what he said in in his video so as we say Social justice can certainly refer to good and true causes, which we should absolutely be behind, like fighting racism. But it also commonly refers to things like abortion rights, bringing legal action against religious institutions for not hiring or in other ways affirming certain sexual preferences or for affirming biblical perspective on transgender issues. And and, uh, also can sometimes refer to defining biblical truth statements including statements about the exclusivity of the gospel as hate speech. Wow. Why would someone think that the expressions of the Bible are used as a hate speech from that kind of a statement? Where on earth would people get that? Hmm. What, what all of that kind of says to me is that they, they are incredibly narrow on their interpretation of Scripture and are unwilling to to even admit that there might be another way to look at what they're reading. So they see something and then they, they, they mouth off with their beliefs and their interpretations and they say, wow, people are calling this hate speech. Well, what if you maybe are interpreting it in, in a pretty fucked up way? Um, like, 
and this is this is a, a slightly innocuous example, but it's it, I, I pull this example because this is something they mentioned in their um, in in their statement that uh, Jesus exalted the generosity of of a poor widow. Um, so if you're not familiar with this story, um, in in the Gospels, Jesus uh, it was was going to the temple and he was seeing all of these like uh, rich people, law um, lawmakers, lawgivers, uh, law keepers, or whatever, um, walking into the temple and they're donating. They're putting like hundreds of equivalent of hundreds of dollars into the donation uh, collection basket or whatever, right? And then this widow um, who has like basically has, has two pennies to her name puts those two pennies in the collection in the collection plate because everything she, she has. has now the, the standard um evangelical uh interpretation of that is that jesus when he called out that that fact jesus was saying that like hey you know yeah be, be like, like her. her this woman knows what she's uh knows what she's doing she's sacrificing for god she's giving Give everything all to, to god. god and yeah, that was the, the the interpretation that I grew up with. That's what I was taught. Like, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. Donate, you know, sacrificially, um, and yeah, <laughs> Give until exactly. it hurts, and God will bless right. you. And and and, and right. meanwhile, so, um, meanwhile, what would be more consistent with the character of Jesus is to interpret that passage as Jesus saw these people donating hundreds of dollars into the collection plate. Clearly, they're rich enough to do that, and this woman has to is is, is poor, poor and is has been coerced by the temple structure and what's being preached in the temple has been coerced into giving everything she has because she thinks that's how she's going to be blessed and that's fucked up and we should be concerned for that widow and she should be taken right. care of by those people who have money and yeah. that's what yeah. Jesus is highlighting but no we no I did same with you Nate I didn't grow up ever hearing that story in the light of Jesus was highlighting the yeah. the disparities, the injustice of the whole system of how it was set up. Jesus was highlighting that this is wrong. Instead, we don't even yeah. look at that at all. It didn't get touched on. It was like, oh, look at that great widow. Be yeah. like the widow. Not don't take pay attention to the dynamics of power that are going on here and who's being neglected, who needs help and support. People who are wanting to look impressive by giving money to the offering plate but are not willing to look yeah. after their own neighbor. Yeah. That's yeah. what we should be caring about in this in this Vicky, story. you had um, a yeah. couple of other um, points that, that you wrote in your notes that I'm yeah. like... Yeah. I, 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 I want you to kind of go... <laughs> like you were talking about... What, you wrote something about community building. Um, yeah, yeah. So... Um, I've been doing a lot of, uh, like, I've been trying to do a lot of DEI work, you know, and we've been doing a lot of DEI work um, at my job. And I did, was just so not aware of how you're really supposed to go about um, talking about racism and talking about, you know, some of these structural inequities that, um, you know, affect so many of our black siblings um, in, in any situation, like I, I'm doing it at work, I'm doing it in my own time, but you could t definitely apply this to church or school or like any other institution that you're a part of where it's, it should be a community, right? So like if you're in a community and it's inherently hierarchical, there's always going to be inequity there. And that was kind of like the main thing that I got out of this, this guy's sermon or I don't know, this service or whatever it was, was that it's like, we're going to talk about how there's inequity um, and how there shouldn't be as much inequity, but the, the way that it was presented was inherently unequal. Um, and what mm -hmm. I would have liked to see... Real quick, though, though Vicky, sorry, you were, you were mentioning yeah, yeah, DEI yeah. work. Could you uh, explain for us what that stands oh, for? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So DEI, um, for people who are not aware, is it stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, I'm obviously not an expert on it, but um, it, it's basically... You know, how do we, how can we learn how to include and make equitable these systems, these structures, these communities that are just inherently unequal? And I, I believe, and I think like the one of the main goals of DEI work um, as a as a, late, a larger sense is not it's not racial unity, <laughs> but it's but it's an understanding and acceptance and an embrace of diversity because ultimately diversity is what uh, brings um, brings difference of opinions. Right. It brings a lot of new information that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise to the community. And in, in so doing, it enriches us as yeah. people, um, as white people, as black people, as um, Asian American or Asian people yeah. in general. Um, from any background. So it's really important, um, you know, and I'm sure 
if we have Carrie on the pod at some point, she could she could explain yeah. it way better than I could. Um, um, but it's it's super important, and one of the the foundational pillars of of DEI work that we've been doing at work and that I've been doing, you know, at home. Um, in my research is just learning about community building and what does it mean to have a community? Well, like one of the first things is that you see everyone in your community as number one, playing an important role. And also they're no better or no worse than you, like in any, in any sense of the word, like you're not, I'm not saying being like colorblind because that's the exact Mm, opposite (laughs) of what you want. You don't want to like it completely ignore someone's, um, you know, ethnicity or race or um, social background, but to say that, like, okay, you're um, you're a person of color, your opinion matters. I'm going to listen to it, as opposed to just talking about someone else's opinion on people of color, right? Or, or, or I'm gonna I'm gonna sit in a circle and I, we're gonna all go around and we'll each have our own piece. We're, we'll each have our own ab- ability to talk about what is bothering us. And so it's not one person talking to an entire audience of like 500, 1,000, 10,000 people and saying, this is what we believe. It's maybe 10 people in a circle and they're all on equal footing and asking those people, what is important to you? How can we do better? What can I do for mm-hmm. you? Right? Like, you know what? Yeah. That, that you're making me think of so many things, Vicky, when it comes to like how they're taking the time to address the topic as that one person rather than listening to each other and sitting around in a circle. Um, it makes me think of just what I noticed in the tone was this whole idea of unity being about you don't discuss. Mm-hmm. Like this whole thought process that true unity happens when we don't make a big deal out of this. Yeah. Whereas actually creating unity is not so even as example they emphasize the word forgiveness and never brought Mm. up justice Mm -hmm. i didn't hear it anywhere um this idea that you kind of let go of the problems you don't focus on them and that's what's going to heal the community rather than if you give equal if you if you're giving priority to a white person to talk to everybody about it and you're not sitting around listening to in in a group with people who actually have different views and have experienced different things expressing what's wrong then you can't actually create unity. You can't actually build towards addressing what's going wrong. If justice isn't part of the discussion mm-hmm. on racial unity, what is what what are you actually doing mm-hmm. except trying to silence people? Which makes sense yeah. with having one person lead it and having everyone else listen. That it becomes right. a silencing rather than and an it creates, actual yeah, exactly. and it creates like a hierarchy. Um, which mm-hmm. I love what you wrote in your notes. So Vicky, I'm going to let you let you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like racism is inherently hierarchical. And the structure of the church is also inherently mm-hmm. hierarchical. Um, so therefore, the structure of the church is inherently racist because who's at the top of the leadership? It's not a diverse collection of people of color, white people, and like different ages, different experiences. It's all the same kind of yeah. person. The kind of people at the top are all straight white men. Yeah. Yeah. Like why? If, if you really cared about... Um, building a community that is inclusive and equitable for everyone, you would include some of those people that you're talking about being undervalued and not represented in your presentation. Mm -hmm. And you would listen to them. Um, Amen, Vicky. This is why women need to be preaching. (laughs) Oh, I don't don't want to, but... (laughs) Preach, girl. Preach. That was a good sermon. Um, so, So another thing that I just want to touch on was... Um, the pastor said, we want to be aware of the ways we each make each other from, we want to be aware of the ways we each make people from other backgrounds feel uncomfortable or undervalued. And we want to grow from that awareness, says the man, says the white man who has just oh, shut gosh. down discussion to his entire congregation. Like, he's like, I want to make you guys feel included. Now listen to how I'm going to make you feel included. <laughs> like, without asking, like, what what would you like? Right. <laughs> Isn't that so much a part of white arrogance, though? We're going to tell you what you've experienced and what you need and how you're feeling. Yeah. And what needs to be done to change it. Yeah. Even though you're not the we're not the ones affected by it. We're not, you know, but right. we're going to... And also, yeah. like, if I don't... Un- like, the, the, what I'm getting to from it is, like, if I don't understand what you're feeling it's kind of your fault right it's not my f- i don't have to do any work it's your fault for not like explaining it good enough to me and like if you didn't do the job of oh explaining it to me then like it's not my fucking responsibility but to like I, I, and yet 
it's all out there. Like, plenty of people right. have done the work. You just need to do the time to, like, exactly. look it up. You know? Several weeks. Several, several weeks of, <laughs> of research. And, and literally, like, um, the, the, all of the people who have written and spoken, like, even... Even Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., not one reference to him whatsoever. Mm. But there are people yeah. out there who have done work, people like Ibram X. Kendi, people like Ali Henney, like um, uh, Corey Leak that we've, uh, we've talked about. And they have done the work for you. Read their stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't make, don't make I- black people everywhere do your homework for, for you. Or listen to them when they've taken the time to do the work and highlight what they have to say. I think one of the the striking things, too, that I noticed from the statement, I know we're, like, running on time, but I was really struck, too, by his comments about how we know we've harmed people and they admitted their church has caused harm. And he kind of uh, took some time to address that they're not perfect and they they need to repent and highlighting repentance, but without spelling out exactly uh, Mm -hmm. what they've done wrong, how they've harmed other people, because... to make a statement like this, you would hope there would be follow-up action items as a part of your statement, which there were none. Right. There were no, we should head in this direction now as a way to change course. But it starts with, before you know, putting action points out there, you need to at least acknowledge what you've done wrong so that you know what action items to correct in the future, uh, referencing how you've done damage. And I noticed in their statement, talking about how we know we need to repent, about how even as a church we've harmed people, mm-hmm. there's no acknowledgement yeah. of what they've done. At all, zero, and I something, think that's huge. Something that's a big... uh, to to um, to kind of build off of what you said there. He he mentioned quite a few times over the course of his talk that you know I I know I have blind spots. Um, I admit that I have blind spots. Like what? Right. But what blind spots? Like you what? said you embarked on a two week journey and and studied for two weeks about this. <laughs> what what blind spots? What was what did you discover? What came up there for exactly. you? Yeah. And, and I I almost want to ask him when you started this process. What opinions did you have at the beginning that you that have changed? Have had mm-hmm. to change. Mm-hmm. Are they even? Is it even possible for that pastor? And I'm I'm seriously asking mm-hmm. here to to look inward, acknowledge a fault, and then ag- also acknowledge a commitment to change that mm-hmm. fault within right. themselves. Is it possible without the community building, without the discussions with other people, without? Um, having someone explain it to them in a way that's one-on-one where they understand where both people are equal. If you feel like you're in a position of power, how the fuck Mm. (laughs) can you possibly, if you're more powerful than these people, understand where they're coming from and then want to be on an equal footing and want to change so that you can, in effect, raise them up and that we can all be, we can all pull each other up Mm -hmm. together. I mean, why would he want to do that? It, it just seemed the entire the entire presentation of this just seemed like he's like, yeah, we're doing this because we have to because it's uncomfortable because some people have talked to me about like their particular like discomfort with what with um, the racial injustice. And like, how do I com- how do I attach this to the Bible in a way where it m- fits our church message? But I'm not going to change anything that I'm really doing. I'm just like it's it's all lip service. You know, it's so I think it's important to mention that. It's not just emergence. This is... No, I think that's what I was trying to get at, too, with saying, like, you know, the, the kind of evangelical churches I grew up in, more than one in, in Canada, you know, and what you're seeing out of, you know, church in New Jersey, mm-hmm. they're parallel. They're, these kind of thoughts and sentiments, and even church structures, yeah. the hierarchy, the male, white-led, is so typical, and people don't see the problem and don't see that you're asking a person who has the power to divest themselves of that power. Like, I think of... The Martin Luther King quote where he says, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded Mm -hmm. by the oppressed. Just that whole understanding of people in power don't go, you know what, I want to give up my perks, privileges, and leadership and give it over to someone who we're marginalizing. I'm good with that. Yeah. So I I wanted to mention, the reason I wanted to mention that it's not just emergence is that this is pervasive um, in, in... in American evangelicalism, and the reason that it's important for us, even if you don't come from an evangelical background, is that evangelicalism is a very large voting block in this country. Um, it's in Mike, Mike yeah, Pence. Mike Pence. <laughs> he typifies, um, and he's sort of their 
their savior. Like nobody batted an eye that he uh, about the fact that he um, he quoted scripture but replaced Jesus with um, Old Glory, the American flag. Like, yeah. Oh, at the, yeah, at the Republican at the RNC, National he Convention, goes, he literally our eyes on Old Glory. Like old Glory. F- are you really? He yeah. The, how do you replace Jesus with nationalism? That's such a mm-hmm. part of white evangelical culture, yeah. and it's so problematic. And it is very reflective of the thought process. Like 81% of white evangelicals yeah. voted for Trump. And all evangelicals need to take stock of that. And non-evangelicals, mm-hmm. too, to understand what this movement looks like. What are the tenets they hold to? And why is it supporting and propping up the injustice systems right, that exist right. currently? That's why I think it's important for us to, uh, for us to address this, this topic. Um, and Why we got yeah, all wired we up got, and pumped yeah. about it. <laughs> and, I mean, we... we we took the emergent statement because a it's kind of within our circles um and b it was completely representative of how white evangelicals think um this is what i see yeah. not just from people from emergence but from people from across, across the, the board, board at at almost every uh predominantly white evangelical church um and even at at black evangelical churches that have white pastors which is another yeah. Which are a mm-hmm. lot of them. Yeah, and that's quite another that topic. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. I'll just say in Montreal, I know at least four uh, big, predominantly black churches that are led up by white people mm. in Montreal. That's a common thread. I don't know too many big black churches. I mean, the ones that I know with the people that I know connected to them, they're white people leading up a congregation that yeah. doesn't look anything yeah. like them. So. so I guess having said all that, don't bring this to the dinner table. You guys are are writing a yeah model. yeah we are um, so yeah so I'll plug that real quick I, I know I mentioned it earlier but um, by the yeah it'll probably be done yeah by, by the, the time, time this, we have this episode this. is published yeah. it'll probably be available so um, if that's the case we'll throw a link into the show notes um, we're writing it with Kerry Connolly like I said earlier um, she is the author of the book Good White Racist confronting your role in racial injustice. Um, and she also blogs at Jersey Girl Jesus, um, and I think she also has a podcast too. It's a little sporadic in in its publication, but um, she's got some good stuff out there. So um, I guess we'll just you know close with some with a little bit of plugging her material since we're working with her on it. So I think that does it for today's show. Thanks for listening, and please spread the word about the show and check us out on social media. We're at Don't Repeat This Podcast on Instagram, at Don't Repeat Pod on Twitter, because Twitter has a character limit. And you can send feedback to don'treatthispod at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm Vicky. I'm Gail. I'm Nate. And this has been Don't Repeat This. So um, don't repeat this stuff at the dinner table.